Hello and welcome back to Newly Meds. I'm Heather, your host. And I'm Quinn, your co-host. And we are so glad you guys are tuning in. If you're new here, welcome. Um, we talk about all things newly married life. We actually just hit a year being married. Yeah. January 9th. This, if you're listening to this in January, it's January 2023, just for reference. And uh, we talk about all things healthcare, being in medicine, being in nursing, our married life together, just all the things. And for a little bit of background, Quinn and I actually met in high school. We are high school sweethearts. How do we meet, Quinn? We met <laughs> we met in Science Olympiad. The super nerdy club, okay. like the jock nerdy club. Yeah. The token Which nerdy club of high school. A very funny I was no good at it. Quinn was really good. He was like the jock of the nerds and i was like oh, I, i'm gonna get me a husband I, out of this i do not describe myself that way so just, just so everyone knows anyways <laughs> so we went to prom together then we started dating and yeah. then we went to college together at the university of florida where quinn majored in microbiology and i majored in nursing and um he's a year older than me i graduated a year early with my bsn and then Quinn got into medical school in New York City with a great opportunity to have a full paid scholarship for all four years of medical school. So that is what brought us from Florida to cold, rainy New York City. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, here we are. I worked in med surge for a year. I did a nurse residency program at a magnet hospital in New York City. Got really burnt out of working night shift and the stresses of working in med surge and short staffing and COVID nursing, this, that, and the other. And then I did outpatient endoscopy for about nine months before I found a job that really fulfilled my passions in integrative medicine. I do IV infusions uh, and injections and just other basic nursing needs for the doctor's practice that I work for in New York City. We treat holistically. We try to treat the root cause of disease um, here in New York. So that's what we're doing now. And Quinn is up in his fourth year. Right. I'm applying to residency. I'm essentially just about done with interviews. I'm applying into radiology, um, which I truly believe is the best field of medicine okay, ever. Relax. I love radiology and I've loved all my interviews. Um, and I will be creating a rank list soon of the programs that I'm interested in. And I will be matching in March. Yeah. We are super excited to see where that next step is for us. Was that two months away? Two months, yeah. And then next month in February, we're going to visit um, an area in North Carolina that we're really interested in for our next step for residency. Uh, and, you know, Florida is also some of our options back home. We'd like to be back home, too. And then in Texas. So it's kind of like the southeast area right. we've been really focused on. Um, and today I'll bring introduce the topic of the podcast. We're going to be talking about toxic productivity culture or a.k.a hustle culture before we get into that um we're gonna do our highs and lows yeah of the week do you want to start you want me to start no you start okay highs and lows um i would say the high for me is knowing that i'm almost done with interviews i did yeah. a couple interviews this week i have one left it's exciting that this process is like already kind of done um i literally had a fun time with all my interviews but it definitely is nice to know that you know, I'll be done soon because it, it is yeah. a it is a production to get ready for them and, and prepare for them and all that. Um, but at least they're through their Zoom now. They yeah. used to be in person. right? Oh, my God. And I so can't imagine. In person. Imagine the cost of flying to all those areas. Like, because how many interviews do people get on average? Oh, it 
It depends, depends right? Yeah, what specialty? Yeah, yeah. But it, but it uh, now we're it's like kind of all around. People are able to do more because you're not traveling places, right? Because a lot of times people would have to pick and choose. Like, oh well, I can't fly to this interview because you know it's just too much. Um, the low I'd say is. Uh, well, I'm, I'm reaching the end of a research project that I've been working on, which is exciting. That's not a low. The low is just that I'm having to put in a lot of time for it. And um, it's like kind of organizing patient data. And that can be very tedious uh, over time. So I'm ready to be done with it because um, I'm ready to kind of see like the results of all the work that I've been doing. But definitely low is like I've really been pushing hard to finish it. And that's been that's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. So. I know you've been working on this for a while. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to fit that in around the other things that you have going on. Right. But it's been good. Yeah, it's been What's good. What's the topic of the study again? The research? Um, I don't know if I can like reveal that. It, Why? Just because it's not like, you know, it's not just published Just give us yet. a general the idea. The general idea is um, like topics in radiology, there's something called an appropriateness criteria, which is essentially... Uh, determining whether or not a type of imaging is like, you know, warranted um, in certain situations. So we are evaluating one of those to determine if uh, a certain type of imaging is being ordered appropriately. And then if it's not, um, we'll be working on developing some, you know, re-education to help improve ordering those tests appropriately. Mm, so it's yeah. like it's like a balance between getting diagnostic tests when they're needed, but not getting them unnecessarily because that's, you know, money yeah. spent for the patient and exposing right. them to radiation. Just making it more like efficient. That. Right. And more useful. And safer for patients. Safer for patients. Yeah. Right. Um, my high of the week was uh, my, my practice, the practice that I work at. We had a staff dinner on Friday, which was super nice to just, you know, I feel so privileged to have that type of environment that we celebrate and we get together and it's fun. Uh, that's not something that I'm used to working in, working in the hospital. Um, and then my low is that I drank too much on friday not to the point of like being like belligerent or like being out of control or anything like that but i drank enough to where it messed up my sleep friday night yeah. like i was i felt fine the entire night like i wasn't your, your definition of drinking too much is very different than most people I yeah feel. yeah like if you have more than like a couple it really messes up your it's sleep. only like Apparently, one drink can mess up your sleep. Yeah. I'm learning all about this on the, the Huberman Lab podcast. Um, that's what I've been obsessed with the past few days of, of fixing my sleep. And I was up from like 3, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Just like wide awake, um, wired from drinking makes you like messes with your cortisol. Um, my heart was racing like and I still do all of the things I take all of the things all of the supplements to help but still it affects me so much so now I'm kind of confronted with like oh do I need to like stop drinking completely or do I need to just like learn how to say you know one or two drinks and that's my limit absolute limit because yeah. I always like say oh I'm only gonna have two drinks and then I never right keep that unless it's like yeah. a, a school night unless it's like a work night or whatever right and i know that like i have to wake up the next morning um i just i don't like i feel terrible the next day yeah because of the sleep it affects you a lot yeah it does i'm just very sensitive to it i'm very sensitive and i'm already a granny like i already go to bed at 9 p.m like my wind down period we get into bed at like 8 30 i'm not yeah. kidding it's crazy last night i got 10 hours of sleep to recover from this the past week of missing a few times yeah. so anyways good. that was my low 
Um, but my high is my like favorite Gymshark athlete, Whitney Simmons, released her final her final like release. I don't know with Gymshark, and I got a few pieces, so I'm super excited for those to come in. Um, also, for you guys listening the first time, Quinn and I are really into fitness um, and wellness, so that's a big big deal to me. I'm really excited for those oh, pieces yeah. to come in. Big big Whitney fan. Oh. Big Whitney Stan. All right. So today, toxic productivity culture. We're talking about this because last week it affected me so much. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to record podcasts every week, every weekend. It's Sunday today, and we usually do it on Sunday. But last week, I was just so drained from the week. And I don't know if it had to do with like my, my hormonal cycle, because we all know as women are constantly in flux throughout the month. But I was just so drained last weekend and I was like, I cannot sit down and create a podcast with you. Like, I just can't do it. I have no energy to do it. But I felt guilty for resting. I felt guilty for sitting on the couch and watching TV even after doing a 101 things. Like, I, I feel like I can't, I don't deserve to rest or, you know, if I'm resting, I'm wasting time. So... Toxic productivity culture is defined as a cultural trend defined as an obsession or addiction to being productive results in one's self-worth being measured by levels of productivity. So if you're in healthcare, you're probably familiar with this because a lot of people that go into healthcare are just your typical overachievers from what I've experienced, especially nurses are usually a type people, at least the nursing students that I was with in nursing school, my peers were incredibly A-type, like would finish assignments like three months before they were due. And it was constantly comparison in terms of how to right. keep up. Um, so I think this is going to hit home with a lot of the listeners, a lot of you guys listening. Yeah. Today, we hope to talk about aware- bring awareness to this topic and then empathize with you guys and give some tools of how we can overcome toxic productivity. Yeah. I think it's good to kind of define it because I think it, I think it becomes hard to define, you know, like a lot of people have aspirations, they have goals, they're working towards things, they're working hard and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But we'll kind of talk a little bit about how productivity culture essentially makes productivity the end all be all and it blends into every other area of your life. Yeah, It just takes from your time to relax, from your time to do your hobbies, and makes your whole life centered around productivity. Um, And a concept that goes with this is that your productivity is tied to your worth. And that is a message that a lot of us are reminded of every day um, with our work and our studies is like, our behavior of being productive is constantly positively reinforced in society, right? Because it's like when you achieve, you get the gold star, you get the raise, you get the bonus, you get, you know, all of these good things. So it perpetuates that cycle. And I guess with social media, at least my TikTok algorithm is like all the aesthetic vlog cleaning videos where it's like they clean the entire house and it's under 30 seconds because it's like those short, tiny clips, which I'm obsessed with. I love it like i love the emily kaiser videos for those girls out there you know i'm talking about on tiktok but you're seeing somebody's five hours of cleaning or whatever in a 30 second video and it makes you say oh wait like i'm not i'm not that productive i can't do everything in two times speed and it's just it 
again puts in our face this productivity. It, technology has brought the need to be productive home. Yeah. And the five to it, nine before the nine to five. That's like the thing. Oh, I like that. It, it, it's, it's, you know, think about working from home, which I think is a great thing. But then for a lot of people, it creates this weird environment where now when you're home, you're working, right? You don't yeah. go to an office, work, leave it at work and then come home. It's like, when does your day start, stop? And you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. becomes one big blended mess of productivity. Yeah. Um, that happens in medicine and that happens in lots of other fields too, like right. coding, tech jobs, business, you know, that you do from home, business that you do in the office. A lot of times you go home and someone calls you and you have meetings and the productivity never ends. Um, so we're not psychologists or psychiatrists or anything, but we did dig a little bit into where this incessant need for productivity comes from. And in part, we think that it comes from validation from our parents of growing up and that attention and validation that we needed um, unconditionally was given when we were achieving things. And I'm saying we, but I'm talking about just people in general. Yeah. So um, like a kid, you know, they're not really shown that unconditional love until they got the A on that test or until they, and I know this is more prevalent more systemically in certain cultures. Um, I can't speak to that, um, but I know that there are a lot of people of certain cultures that may agree that this was a very widespread thing yeah. that they encountered yeah. growing up. It, and it comes from a lot of different places. You know, if it doesn't come from your parents, then maybe it comes from your school, right? Who gets the attention at school? The people who perform the top, the best. Yeah. Whether it's sports, the end whether of the year, it's pizza party for yeah. the top one, per, top five percent. A B honor roll, all A honor right. roll. You know, who gets who gets recognized? The people and that I'm, are. And I'm not saying that there's productive. anything wrong with that though, because it's like it's good to reward you know, good behavior and achievement. Right. But the problem becomes when we over-identify with that need to be productive. It's the same concept when you speak about mental health, right? So think about things like anxiety. Being anxious is a healthy response because it is our body's way of anticipating harm, danger, right? That's been a survival mechanism for us. If you're right. in the wild and you, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't see anything you're around me, but I think there might arousal. be a predator. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's a predator, you know, trying to attack me or whatever, but it's when those healthy mechanisms become out of control, you know, you're anxious in a situation and nothing bad is happening. You have panic attacks right. at, at random moments throughout the day. Yeah. It's the same topic with this, where it's like productivity is great and being rewarded for your hard work is great. It becomes when your end all be all is productivity. Yeah. My only worth comes from being rewarded for yeah. my productivity. That's where it becomes a problem. And I think psychologically for children, the other way this is kind of manifested or, or a learned coping mechanism is in a household environment that's kind of volatile or out of control where parents are constantly fighting or yelling at each other or, you know, there's... Uh, adverse childhood experiences going on aces like you know divorce um what, uh, what are other abuse mm -hmm. like a uh, drug use there's a bunch there's a whole list of them adverse childhood experiences that people have so when you have more individual experiences like that as a child 
your your coping mechanism is to look for ways that you can control your environment. And being a high achiever or productive is one of those ways that you can be in control. And then um, through an article I was reading on Vice, LOL, uh, this, this psychotherapist they interviewed, Zoe Aston, explains that keeping, your, keeping our brains occupied helps to not ruminate over bad stuff. Productivity takes the edge off of some very difficult and challenging emotions we're having to cope with. Uh, as a result, stress levels are lowered, we sleep better and feel healthier. So when we are hyperproductive, we never have time to actually sit down and, and yeah. confront our bad emotions or, or not bad emotions, confront our negative emotions right. or trauma or issues. It's like having a traumatic experience like a death in the family and you throw yourself into your work. Um, I remember... One physician was giving a presentation and spoke about how their wife died, you know, recently. And they said, oh, well, you know, the day after it happened, I, I just went back to work and I just mm -hmm. kept working. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's that's not good. <laughs> like I, uh, throwing yourself into work to distract yourself from difficult situations and not having to come face to face with trauma or your emotions is definitely not you know, the best response. And you know what? I think like our generation is changing the paradigm on this because at least with our parents' generation, um, they're in their 50s, people in their 50s and 60s yeah. right now, I feel like the way they grew up, it's like, oh, just, you know, grow a thicker skin, yeah. get over it, get toughen over up, it. be a man. Those types of phrases that they were not taught to be able to express and feel the range of emotions right. like I feel like we have been more allowed to at least hopefully um, and I think that has been so detrimental to them because and, and I'm you know generalizing here but a lot of them don't know how to confront and cope and, and deal with their issues and their right. problems and their right. feelings and their you know, their own childhood trauma which perpetuates more um, so, yeah. So let's talk about what what the lies that we tell ourselves that kind of contribute to this toxic yeah. uh, productivity like culture. Like common th thought patterns. So one is my job or role defines me, right? right? And I think that's huge in healthcare. Oh my huge, gosh, the huge. ego, the ego. Where it's like I'm I'm a physician, right? Or I'm a nurse, or I'm a nurse manager. I'm in charge. That's my role. That's me. Yeah. Um, my success in that role is who I am and that that's how good I am. Right. Um, I think it's really difficult. A lot of people in medicine choose specific fields because it gives them a better sense of self. Well, I'm a surgeon, right? Yeah. That's a big thing. Or I'm a cardiologist or I'm a whatever. That means I'm good. Right. And I can feel good about myself because I've achieved this role, this goal. Yeah. I think this particularly shines when like Whenever I ask someone like what they do and if they happen to be a nurse and they don't just say, oh, I'm a nurse that and if they work in critical care, they say, oh, I'm an ICU nurse. Right. And that specific role of being an ICU nurse has become their entire role and identity. And I'm not saying that because I'm insecure because I'm not an ICU nurse. I'm just saying that's something that perks my ears up. That's not like, oh, that's something interesting to pay attention to is how tied to our role we are right. in terms of our ego and identity 
And um, a part of me, a part of what keeps nurses staying in toxic work environments is that draw to having to maintain that role self. Um, That was hard for me to leave the bedside because I thought if I didn't work in the hospital as a bedside nurse, I wasn't a real nurse. And my ego and my identity was so tied to that label and that role being a med surge nurse and all the things that go along with that, like I can handle tough things, I can multitask, I can have all the patients at one time and I can do this, that and the other and have these skills and these certifications. That is so tied to our identity that we can't separate ourselves from it. And if we do, we have an existential crisis. Like, who am I? What am I without this role? And I think it's important to note again, there's nothing wrong with being proud of the role that you're in. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you've achieved in a certain field. But it comes to a point where, you know, I'm, uh, you know, applying into radiology and I've had people tell me, well, doesn't it upset you that people don't think radiologists are doctors? Because that's like a common Mm. thing. And I, I remember thinking, no, wait, what? What do Bro, I care? honestly, Who? that was my perception when you said you wanted to go into radiology. And, and a lot of it's people like, think you're that. you're not doing patient care. That's right. not a real doctor. And it's like, okay, but I want to do it. I'm interested in it, right? So yeah. that's where that's where I think it kind of, we can make that distinction where it's being proud of something versus I'm doing this because it gives me a good sense of self. Yeah. And that's why you have to really connect with your values and find what lights your heart on fire and what is going to make you feel so fulfilled because if you're just doing it for the ego then it's not sustainable and you're going to burn out so fast because you're going to go to work every day and it's going to be work instead of something that you love right and um so number two on the lies of toxic productivity culture hobbies should be monetized right you can't just I, enjoy something to oh enjoy gosh, it. That it needs to core. fulfill some goal, so make you hard. money, be something you can, you know, show off. You can't just enjoy it. Because I, as a content creator, suffer from this so badly. I'm like, why create if it can't be monetized? And then every time time I think of doing something creative, I'm like, okay, but how much is this going to earn? Is this going to get engagement, which is going to get me brand deals, which is going to bring money in? Like... It's really sucks nowadays to not be like, I can't, to be like, I can't do something without feeling like it needs to be monetized. Right. Like even the wall art that I wanted to create that's like on the canvas with the plaster. I don't know. It's trendy right now. If you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, Like I'm like, okay, then I can make that, but then I can put it on an Etsy to sell it. Or I can do these templates and then on Canva because I love doing these little like stupid calendar things and task lists and all this that and the other on Canva and I can sell it on Etsy it's like why can't we just have freaking leisure time like just have hobbies for the sake of having freaking hobbies right um I don't know it's just like how do you that sucks and that's a lie that we tell ourselves the third one is I'm not allowed to take breaks or I have to earn my rest that hits home me. I feel like it hits home for everybody. For everyone, right? I guess I can take a break after I finish this. Mm-hmm. I if I finish this project, you know, that's due three weeks from now. Now, then I can take a break because then I I've think earned it. that's the biggest lie we tell ourselves because we can't. We don't rest is not an option. Just like sleep is not an option. It's a necessity. It's a foundation. It's it's imperative um and we need rest to be able to create more 
And especially as a, as a creative person myself, I feel like when I put pressure on my creativity where I'm like, okay, from 12 to 1230, I'm going to film and edit a TikTok or whatever. I resist it more and more and more instead of just like letting the ideas flow to me and the timeline flow to me when I'm like, I need to have this done by this time and this time, which is honestly why I don't really do brand deals anymore is because my schedule is so packed and strict. I can't force myself to be creative in a certain time period. It just has to come to me. The motivation has to come to me. So working full time and also trying to do brand deals and create content on the side is like next to impossible because there's no margin in my schedule. Without the rest, you can't be motivated and you can't be energized to keep doing what you're doing. Right. It's like making distinctions between work and rest in terms of I will rest when I complete this versus after this time of the day, I'm resting. That's a good way to look at it, too. Because I know you mentioned before we we planned this podcast about 10 p.m. Yeah, we'll talk about that more when we talk about like, you know, skills. Basically just having certain boundaries around your time. It's like what what is telling you when to when to rest? Is it your you know, production, or is it a boundary that you set you for yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, there's always more to do. And so I am such a busybody. Like if I go to sit down on the couch, I'm like, I need to have my, my Stanley cup with my water and my electrolytes and I need my candle on and I need my lip, my lips, my lip balm. And I need my hand lotion and I need my blanket. And I get up and sit down, get up and sit down, get up and sit down like 25 times. Yeah. I'm like, Heather, just rest in this moment. Like it's okay. Like you don't need to do all of these things. And I do a lot of work advising pre-med students who are applying to med school. Self-plug, where can they get you advising? uh, Motivate MD. MotivateMD.com. We do a lot of great work helping people apply to med school. And a lot of times I do advising sessions where people want to review their application with me and um, talk about their scores and talk about their grades. And they'll send me their application ahead of time and it'll be great. Like they have a great score, great GPA, um, all these volunteer things, you know, leadership. And then they'll say to me, uh, what, what else should I do? I'm like, what do you mean? what else is there to do? You've done so much. Yeah, well, I would, I want to get into X, Y, and Z program, and I'm just nervous that I won't be able yeah. to. Um, so it's that sense of like, there's always something else you can do. There's, there's no end point. A theme that I think is interesting is um, that you've been telling me with your residency interviews is a lot of them actually ask about your hobbies, right? Right. And which is so funny because you know, they make you so busy. Right. You're so busy that uh, sometimes when they ask you your hobbies, you're like, my what? Like, what's a hobby? (laughs) When, when, when do I have time to do that? Yeah. Clinic, like clerkships and especially for pre-meds, you know, Uh, especially for pre-meds and it's big during rotations because rotations, like you're working all the time. So you're like, I don't, right now I don't have any hobbies. You know, my hobby is doing my flashcards. Yeah. Um, and then um, the last thing, the last lie of toxic productivity culture is the saying that or the feeling that I can't delegate tasks because I'm the only one who can do it right. Man, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that with you, honestly. What, what do you mean? Me doing it to you? No, you I do it to, to you yeah. because I'm like, no, I can't let Quinn do this because I'm the only one who can do it yeah. the way I want it done. Like I'll do your laundry and you'll be like, where's my sock? Yeah, where's my one? I'm well, like, 
that is that's a sensitive topic i don't okay. know if we want to get into that over <laughs> podcast but every time quinn does my laundry which is every time he does my laundry does the laundry i do the laundry Quinn does the laundry <laughs> he loses a dang sock and i'm convinced that if i did the laundry there i wouldn't go. lose the sock and, but uh, i don't want to do proving, the laundry it's proving this point right the sock would be lost regardless of who the does laundry it. machine eats the, the laundry machine eats They're the very hungry. we all know that yes um but yeah it's just it's another grasp for, for control just classic trying to control the environment the scenario constant need to be in control is that i can't delegate because i'm the right. only one that can do it right this and i feel that you know with work i mean as being a nurse where you're like if you have you know your coworker do something for you whatever you're like oh my gosh like you know what if they don't do it right or what, right you know it's and it like, reflects back on me uh, yeah um right so let's talk about some habits that can form like I'm just doing, I'm we're saying all these things to identify, help you guys identify what what toxic productivity culture is, and identifying it in your own life so that you can start to overcome it and right. work, work to identify these, you know, right malicious malicious. That's not a word. Malignant. Malignant. No. Malicious. Oh, malicious. Malicious beliefs um, that are terrorizing right. your life. So what habits do we do every day <sighs> that? contributes to this problem number one for me is definitely blending free time and leisure time free time free time with, um, with work. work yeah i meant free slash leisure when time with work. you're resting like you're at the gym and you're watching an informative video on your phone i do that all the time i'm so guilty of that i would watch lectures at or the gym. work emails or something right right you're responding to emails you're studying you're whatever um or you're doing work but you haven't given yourself a break in 10 days so while you're working every two seconds you're watching a youtube video because you just need or a TikTok break or, or tiktok or tiktok right quinn's a big youtube guy so i'm a big all of his are gonna YouTube. be youtube yeah um or at the end of the day when you're sitting on the couch and you're watching TV to unwind and you're like, let me just edit this right. TikTok or let me just, you know, respond to these emails or let me look up this for work or whatever. Just when you're combining both things instead of having boundaries of like, this is where I'm only going to focus on resting. Right. And this is where I'm only going to focus on work. You you only have 100% to give, right? Like there is no... Oh, give 110%. Like we say that, but the reality is we only have 100% to give. Meaning if you split your attention between two things, neither of them are getting 100%, mm, right? Multitasking. One is getting one percentage and the other one's getting the mm. other. Meaning you're not doing the best you could at either. So that's why I think it's so important to split the two, right? Because if yeah. you're working and you're rest trying to rest at the same time you're not going to do either and that's going to make it worse my personal self-awareness and kind of like consciousness journey has been due to or has been really focused on presence and working on being present in the present moment uh, and what that means is just getting in touch with your breath and paying attention to your breath in each moment i think it's really hard for me to focus on the present moment instead of focusing on all the other things on my to-do list which drives this incessant need for productivity and we're always thinking about the next thing you know the next thing coming up the next thing on the to-do list right. all the other things going on what would happen in your life if you just focused on what you were doing at the exact moment 
And this sounds so trivial, but like when I'm at work and I'm doing things at work, I will narrate in my head what I'm physically doing, which brings me into the present moment. Yeah. Because especially as nurses, we can make a lot of errors if we're not completely focused on, on what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if you're pulling meds out of the Pixis and you're reconstituting stuff and whatever, and you're thinking about patient in 4A who has another situation going on entirely, and you reconstitute the medication wrong or whatever and, and prepare the wrong dose, it can have really deleterious effects. Right. So I will, to keep myself focused on the present moment, I will say... I'm taking the cap off. I'm putting the needle in. Right. I'm pulling the syringe back. Right. And I will literally narrate in my head to myself what I'm doing to bring me back to the present moment. And I'll tell you, it really can diminish anxiety yeah. and diminish the need, the incessant need to multitask, which leads to feeling exhausted and burnt out and just fried right. because your brain is in 10 places at once and very overstimulated. So so on that topic now of productivity culture in medicine, right? Because we, we're both in the medical field. Um, and then it's a question of how does this affect our, our jobs in medicine? Mm -hmm. And I found this great article um, from 2019. We can put the link for it uh, sure. probably in the description. But it talks about the difference between values that we speak about openly in medicine versus the actual behaviors that they perform or that we perform in medicine and what what that reveals about our healthcare system and our, our field in medicine. So one of them is physicians are professionals and we trust them, right? We always We always talk about that. But in medicine, you need documentation, you need prior authorization, you need all of these different things to prove that the treatment you're giving to a patient is actually beneficial to them, right? Mm. And what does that tell us? We don't actually trust physicians. We don't actually trust you. You have to prove every single thing you're doing, right? Mm. Um, let's see, high quality care is our top priority. We talk about that all the time, the, providing the best care for our patients. But a lot of times, the delivery system that we use in medicine uh, drives fatigue and drives burnout, right? Mm -hmm. And what do those things do? They erode our quality of care. So that tells us our priorities and economic priorities are more important than quality care. It's really I interesting. I just want to interrupt you because yeah. Dr. Laura Vader on Instagram, I followed her for a very long time. I believe she's an oncologist. She is a incredible advocate for um, medical training residency programs and needing to make them better in terms right. of sleep, in terms of work schedule, in terms of social connection, in terms of mental health support. She is such a huge advocate. So you're in if you're interested in that topic, go check her out. I'll link her um, in the, the, sh the show notes here. Right. Um, but she she talks about how sleep is directly relates to physician errors right. and how we continue to do nothing about it and nothing about the 80 hour work weeks and the lack of support. And um, I hope that within our lifetime that we can really change that for the better because right. it's just not cutting it anymore. And, you know, people are not going to commit themselves to this arduous training program with zero support anymore. We're just not going to stand for it. Right. We're not going to stand for the abuse. Right. Um, and you deserve as a, as a physician to be treated better than that. And nurses, you know, we deserve better than that as well. Right. Um, so continue. I just and wanted it, to plug for And it's second. funny on that topic, you know, I've talked about a lot of these things with my parents and I've talked about a lot of how our generation is 
kind of taking a step back, looking at systematic abuse that we've experienced in all different fields, and we're finally doing something about it. And I remember my parents saying that, you know, that abuse was still around when we were you know, in these fields, we just didn't have a method of doing something about it. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's really great that we have podcasts like this and social media to kind yeah, of address these things. It's bringing a voice to people that otherwise wouldn't be heard. Right. And with TikTok and something that you can actually go viral and bring real people and resources to attention um, of, of this issue. Right. Uh, it's incredible. And I hope that we use it for good. And we, right. I hope that these CEOs of these large medical organizations start paying attention right. um, to create a more sustainable environment right. for practitioners. And so to continue on that topic of, you know, um, in this article, they talk about fatigue impairs performance, right? That's a value we talk about. That's something we all agree on. Fatigue impairs performance. Yeah. However, a lot of times in healthcare, you have excessive work hours and you have an, um, sort of a culture that promotes working even when you're sick. Right. Oh, yeah. Or if you just have a little cold or something, mm -hmm. as long as you're not completely incapacitated, come in and yeah. work. If That's you're what you not, need to do. If you're not dying or you're right. not actively puking or you don't yes. actively have a 104 or fever, a, you got to be I think COVID work. was the first time it was like, okay, you're sick. Don't come in here. Right. Versus before it was like, we well, have a cold. All right. You can right. still come in. You can still work. No, but then they said, even with COVID, if you've had fever free for what right. is it, 20, At, like, 24, 40 hours, as you're you better, come back to work. Come back to work. They changed the rules just so right. we could you know come back to work so I, so that's crazy so what that reveals is we don't believe the adage of fatigue impairs performance applies to physicians mm -hmm. or we're too arrogant to admit it and i because people see medical staff as on a pedestal of like they're not actually human because our process the expectation is for it to be rid of any flaws or errors but that couldn't be further from the truth right there's you know, what is the phrase to err is to be human or something? Yeah, that's the next that's thing the I was going to talk about. Yeah. And it's know. like, that's an inherent part of who we are as people. That's why you don't have robots running hospitals, because there is an aspect of um, patient care that is holistic right. and that needs emotional intelligence and this, you know, all the other things right. that are not a part of AI. Um, and we forget about that. Yeah. So kind of on, on that same topic to air is human, right? That's we, that's what you just said. That's what we believe. It's people would make mistakes. It happens, right? But a lot of times in medicine, you have a culture of perfectionism, lack of vulnerability, hiding mistakes, low self-compassion, right? So what does that reveal? Physicians are expected to be superhuman. And it even applies to training, right? A lot of training in medicine as a medical student is get the answer wrong, you'll learn and you'll get it right the next time, right? And it's like, it's okay, I'll, I'll ask you a question. If you get it wrong, don't sweat it, you're learning. But as a medical student, you're being graded all the time. Everyone is looking at you and grading you secretly, you know? Wow. You're constantly being evaluated. You're constantly having your performance uh, evaluated. I remember learning that there were like grading scales that, that different people would give us and that I never knew anything about. Um, so it's that expectation of like, yeah, you're learning, but if you get something wrong, then your score is going to go down and you're not going to do as well. So you're expected to know the answer before you even come in versus what was kind of told to us where it's like, oh, if you get a, you make a mistake, that's fine because you'll learn from it. You yeah. Know? So, so let's move on to some tools that we can use to overcome 
the effects of toxic productivity culture. Um, one of these is called the Eisenhower matrix. I learned about this a while ago. Uh, it basically is four quadrants, like a, you know, like four quadrants. And then each quadrant has a title and it's basically a way for you to prioritize your work, um, to not be multitasking, but to focus on one thing at a time. The Eisenhower matrix is a simple tool for considering the long-term outcomes of your daily tasks and focusing on what will make you most effective, not just most productive. So on the top left quadrant, you have important and urgent. This is your do it category. This is the things that we want to get out of the way as soon as possible. Things with clear deadlines and consequences for not taking immediate action. Examples of them would be finishing a client project, submitting a draft article, responding to some emails, picking up your sick kid from school, um, you know, a patient that is like actively trying to die, like that is what you want to attend to first. And then you have the, to the right of that box quadrant, you're going to have important but not urgent which are things that you want to schedule them into your calendar or schedule them into your day. So activities without a set deadline that bring you closer to your goals and are easy to procrastinate on. Examples of that would be strategic planning, professional development, networking, exercise is a huge part of this. Um, in the bottom left quadrant, you're going to have not important but urgent and you're gonna delegate those things, things that need to be done, but don't require your specific skills, busy work, for example, uploading blog posts, scheduling, responding to some emails, meal prep. We do that in our household in different ways. So there are things that I can't get to, but that need to be done. So Quinn will help out with, he'll do some laundry, he'll do some meal prepping for both of us. Um, those are things that we tend to delegate between each other, or if Quinn is something he has to focus on, I'll walk Jack's, I'll walk the dog, take him out. You know, we, we flow in that state, but delegation is huge to those types of tasks. And then the bottom right cor uh, corner, the bottom right quadrant is referred to as not urgent and not important things. So you're going to delete those things. Distractions that make you feel worse afterward can be okay, but only in moderation. So example, the biggest one of that is like, you know, doomsday scrolling on TikTok or Instagram for hours. I am totally on board with taking strategic social media breaks. They're a part of my day, especially as a content creator, but I don't let them, you know, completely dominate my schedule. I have very certain times where I allow myself to do that. Watching TV, video games, and eating food that is, you know, enjoyable, but not, you know, health, health promoting, I guess. Right. So those are things that you want to pay attention to or just distractions in your life that are not helping you feeling rested or filled up, like right. spending time with the wrong type of people right. that are not conducive. And and some happiness. things that were very helpful to me, you know, as a medical student was, you know, Heather or Heather will remember one of the very big things that I did, and I did this throughout all my rotations, 10 o'clock was a hard deadline for me. No matter what I had, if I had anything it would not, I would not do work past 10 o'clock. And for me, I realized that past 10 o'clock, I could not focus. I mm -hmm. could not focus on my work. My brain was mush. I just like wasn't productive. So even if I were to do something past that time, it just, weren't worth, it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. And so for me, it was really important to set a time deadline versus a productivity deadline. Oh, well, I'll, I'll take a break as soon as I finish this yeah. set of flashcards or this set of studying. Setting a time made it so that 
uh, you could push work to the next day and be okay with it. So that coincides with our second point about tools to overcome productivity culture is right. set clear boundaries between your work and personal time. Right. Like make it clear, like I'm not responding to work emails after 5 p.m. Like that right. is a hard cutoff. Um, and then the third thing is practice professional detachment. Like we need to learn that our our job role is not our identity. Right. And it's not, it doesn't determine our worth as human beings. Um, you're, I just, you know, for anyone listening, like you're worthy of love and belonging regardless of your role regardless of your designation, um, you know, practice, you know, getting into that spirit of who you are besides that, who yeah. are you without the attachment of being a nurse or a doctor or a respiratory therapist or a phlebotomist. Right. Um, and you know, this might be something that you want to go deeper on and like maybe see a therapist or do some, you know, childhood trauma work or emotional right. work on um to really get deep into that but yeah. that is a core part of this toxic productivity practice doing something that has no intrinsic value but you like it you mean I, extrinsic value or yes intrinsic is like you genuinely want to do it oh internally. no extrinsic value yeah there like it's go. not it's not practice doing something like okay everyone knows at this point i play video games video games have no extrinsic value they don't but mm -hmm. i like to do it great I watch tons of YouTube channels that it's just two funny guys talking about nonsense. Yeah. And I love it because it gives me a break. It's like I'm getting nothing productive out of this, but I'm yeah. enjoying myself. I don't have to think hard. I don't have to produce something. I'm just enjoying it. I do the same thing with music. I discover bands and I watch their music videos and I watch their concert performances because I love it. Yeah. Right. But like, I'm not gaining anything from it. I just enjoy it. Right. Practice doing those things. And Find then, those things. Yeah. Fourth and final schedule time to do nothing and stay present in that moment. Yeah. And so if you're going to sit down and you're going to watch TV or you're going to have an uninterrupted dinner with your, your partner or your spouse, you know, commit to that and be present in that moment. And instead of, you know, thinking of all the other things on your to-do list or things that you wanted to get done for the day. Right. Um, if you watch TV and do work at the same time, you're not going to do either effectively. You're not right. going to get your work done and you're not going to enjoy watching right. TV. If you go to the gym and you think, oh, I'm going to watch a lecture while I'm at the gym, your lecture watching is going to be crap and your workout's going to be crap. I mean, it's just, that's the truth of it. So having that separation. If you are on social media and it does make you feel insecure that you see other people uh, being so productive with their time or achieving things that you wish that you had. Um, I just want you to know, like, I empathize with you. I struggle with that as well. I struggle with looking at the cleaning vlogs and the perfectly aesthetic home and all the clean dishes and not clean dishes, clean kitchen um, and wanting that desperately. And I just want you to try to say to yourself in those times where you feel that urge coming on like oh my gosh i feel inadequate because i'm looking at these people do all this in 30 seconds what would take me you know 10 hours to do and fill up my entire day and i don't have time for like that's their journey not mine i'm grateful for them that i'm grateful that that's their journey for them and like it helps you separate like no this i this doesn't have to make me feel right like i need to do that because right. i'm on my own journey and i'm in my own grace and i'm in my own path um and my path might be to lay on the couch all day today and yes. not do anything and let the kitchens kitchens let the dishes sit in the sink right and let the dog hair be on the freaking floor 
um, and just, you know, yeah. accept that. Right. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. That's it. That's it, guys. Um, yeah. yeah. We keep telling ourselves we're going to make these shorter, but there's just so much to talk about. Also, <laughs> my last point is like, I've been doing this new thing on TikTok and Instagram called 1% Better Every Day. And it's me sharing my tools, my habits, my hacks of things that I do that I'm trying to make my life more optimized and 1% better every day. And I, I want to do that very carefully because I don't want people to feel people that are watching to feel an endless need to make themselves better. Uh, it is truly one of my deep passions to optimize my life, but that doesn't, I don't want that to feed into productivity culture because I think, I think the thing to take away is that improving yourself doesn't have to t detract from your life. Yeah. And it doesn't 1%. have to be an obsession. It can be something small and then you can take time for yeah. yourself. And the point is to make every moment, not every moment, but your day more enjoyable so that you don't feel like you're burnt out at the end of the day. Right. But you're optimizing your th time so that you can have rest and you can have margin and you can be happier um, by small changes, right. by small tweaks. So that is the point of what I'm trying to do with 1% Better, if anyone is listening to both this podcast and those things I'm posting. Right. All right, guys. That's I it. hope this helps a little bit. Let us know. Email us at newlymedsthepod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at naturally underscore Heather. Um, I would put out Quinn's stuff, but he doesn't really go on Instagram. I don't. He's more of an observer. He's a quiet observer. I like to, yeah. He knows everything there is to know about what's going on. I like in pop to culture. absorb content. Like the Snapchat news, Quinn stays on the Snapchat news. Yeah. He I gotta know me, what Kanye is doing that. What's Kanye do. doing? What's Addison Ray doing? Blah, blah, blah. Does that and the other. You know all the things. I do. Yeah. So. All right. Have a great week, guys. Yeah. Have a great week. And I hope this helps you identify toxic productivity culture and some tools that can help you overcome it. All right, bye.